Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 3 together. Let me ask you a question. How many of you ever watched the reality show The Amazing Race? Anybody ever watch that? And that used to be one of um, my wife and my favorite shows um, because we just love just the, the premise of that story. What it did is it documented racers, teams of two from the United States, and they would literally race around the world. And they would stop in many different countries along the way. And in each country, they would have to compete um, um, at a historical landmark within that um, that country and compete for, you know, uh, 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 to, to win and to complete that task. And when they completed that, they would go on to the next one. And then at the end of every um, show, there would be a checkpoint. So they would be, try to be the first one to the checkpoint, definitely not the last one to the checkpoint. If you were the last, you would be eliminated. And it would document them all the way around the world. Well, Danny and I, oh, it's been many years ago, we actually applied to be on The Amazing Race. Danny thought it would be cool for the teacher and the preacher to, to be on that race. Well, um, we, we did our video, we sent it in, and we did not even get a letter back for them saying that we're sorry, but you didn't, um, you didn't make the team, but we're not bitter. Um, but here's the deal. As our focal passage tells us this morning, every single one of us is in a race. And the race that we are a part of is the race of life, isn't it? We are all in this race of life. All, is a, all of us have begun the race. The question is, how are we going to finish the race? Are we going to finish this race strong for the glory of the Lord? Or are we just going to kind of coast across that finish line? If you have your Bibles, again, turn with me this morning to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 3 together. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. We read these words, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. You know, without a doubt, this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture in, in all of the Bible. If this passage tells us anything, it's this. The heroes of the faith bear testimony that the race of life can be run successfully. You know that, right? You know that you can finish this race or start this race well, and you can finish this race well as well. Remember, these men and women did not always get it right. But when their lives were all said and done, they were counted as having lived faithfully before the Lord. May that be said of every single one of us in this room this morning. Notice our first point this morning. It's this, the participants in the race. The first part of Hebrews chapter 12, again we read, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so 
great a cloud of witnesses. To begin with, within our focal passages, the, 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 the author begins with the word therefore, and we know that when we see the word therefore, we've got to ask ourselves, what is it therefore? Well, what the, what the, what the, the writer is doing is he's contact, connecting the verses that we have been studying over the past several weeks, Hebrews chapter 11, with the verses that come after this, especially the first couple of verses found in Hebrews chapter 12. If you recall from last week's message, the writer would turn from speaking uh, in a, in a um, victorious way about our faithful champions to all of a sudden turning to a more somber tone. In Hebrews eleven thirty two through 40, um, in these verses, we are told that those of history's past would be, or were mocked, they were flogged, they were chained, they were imprisoned, they were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed by the sword. Many were poor, destitute, mistreated, homeless. I think if, it, if we could um, go to places like Afghanistan this morning, we would see that there is still this kind of persecution that is active within our world today. Times were grim, but because of the champions of the faith's testimony, each believer could know that if they would keep their eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, they would finish and could finish the race strong. We're told again in verse 1, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. The writer uses the pronoun we here, doesn't he? He is using it because he's making it clear that we are in this together. We are in this fight together. We are in this race together. I want you to know right now that you and I in this room this morning are in this together. This is not a church full of you's and me's or I's. It is made up of, of us, isn't it? Community equals we. Community is important. The Hebrew church needed each other just like you and I need each other, right? Don't you agree with that, that we need each other? Can you imagine going through life living independent of the church and not having men and women in your life that can encourage you and walk with you? We are told here again, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. What does that mean? Let me tell you what it does not mean. You You and I do not live in an arena. Okay, if the clouds were rolled back, This morning, if we could see the invisible, we would not see all of the champions of faith sitting around that arena rooting us on. Like, you know, I used to preach like that's what I believed, okay? We would not hear Noah telling us to build a giant boat. We would not hear Abraham telling us to leave our homeland and go to the land of promise. We would not hear... Moses telling us to raise our staff and part the Red Sea. We not hear Joshua telling us to shout so that the walls would fall. David is not telling us to slay our giants this morning, is he? Many people interpret this passage of Scripture to mean that very thing. The men and women of faith that have preceded us in death have, been, have borne witness to us that we can run this race successfully. They lived a life of faith then the Lord has deemed them as models for us. The faithfulness of those men and women were a great 
testimony of encouragement to the Hebrew church and should be to us as well. You and I are surrounded by the testimonies of the Old Testament saints, of the New Testament saints, and of 2,000 plus years of church history, of believers that have run this race before us, encouraging us along because they live faithful. They are making it clear to us that we too can live this life faithfully. We're not in this alone. We have each other and we have the testimonies of the saints of old as well. Notice next we see the requirements for the race. Again in the latter part of verse 1 into verse 2 we read, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, within every race, there are some keys to guaranteeing success, right? Notice what we must do if we want to be successful in this race of life. The first thing that the writer tells us to do is we need to lay aside the weights. How many of you have ever watched the show The Biggest Loser? You ever watch that show? Well, um, I used to, we used to watch that show, and one of my favorite episodes always occurred toward the end of the season. And if you remember, toward the end of the, end of the season, um, the contestants would, would have to run up this giant hill. And, and as they ran up this giant hill, they had weights all around their body. And those weights represented the amount of weight that they had lost so far on the Biggest Loser Ranch. And what they would do is they would run to these different stations. Like week one would be a station, and they would shed all of the weight that they had, had lost during week one. They'd put it into a bin. Then they'd go to station two, and they would shed the weight from, from that station. And they'd go to each of these different stations until they came to the top of that hill, and they were, they were free of all of the weight that they they had lost along the race. What we are called to do as believers is we are called to lay aside those things that are hindering us from finishing the race strong. One of those, those weights that we're told in this passage of Scripture is sin. We are to lay aside the sin. Sin weighs us down, doesn't it? It prevents us from being used like we know the Lord has designed us to be used. It is a burden is what it is. Notice these words of the psalmist in Psalm 38. We read, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head. Like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate all the day I go out about mourning. For my sides are filled with burning. And there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. Do you notice what David here calls sin? He calls sin a heavy burden, doesn't he? He calls it a stench 
that is in the air. When you and I became believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, guess what happened? The moment we placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and the moment that Jesus forgave us of our sins, he, he, he took that sin and he removed it as far as the east is from the west. We're told in Scripture that he buried it in the sea of forgetfulness. We, at the moment of our salvation, we were set free of our past sins, weren't we? we that, that weight was released from us, wasn't it? When the author talks about laying aside every weight, laying aside our sin, he is talking about laying aside anything that would impede us from completing this race of life. Laying aside anything that would trip us up. Now, this is all kinds of wrong, okay? But back in the first century, when a racer would compete, they would compete naked, okay? That's wrong. I can't imagine having to, 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 to see such a thing. But when um, the racer entered the stadium, they entered clothed with these long, glorious robes that they, ro- that they wore. And, and, and these robes could not be worn in a race because the robes would trip them up, right? Well, that is what sin does. Sin trips us up is what it does. What are some things in your life this morning that are weighing you down? Think to yourself, what is it this morning that is weighing you down? What kind of sins do you need to ask the Lord to forgive you of this morning that are laying you, weighing you down and preventing you from competing in the race? You know, this morning, um, you know, I've got some weights that are on me. And, and these weights um, represent um, sin is what they do. I mean, there's a, there could be the sin of pride. There could be the sin of unbelief. What are some sins? Just ask yourself this morning. What are some sins that are weighing you down this morning? What are some things in your life that are weighing you down? Maybe it's, um, maybe it's pride. Maybe it's, um, maybe it's the sin of, of, of not being the parent or the grandparent that you know that you need to be. Um, you know, this morning, um, underneath this jacket, which is killing me right now, um, I've got like a 40 pound weight vest that is on and man, this thing is heavy is what it is. And I thought it would be a good idea to wear this this morning during the sermon, but I don't know if it is or not because it's, again, it's heavy. But that's what sin is, isn't it? It is a weight. It weighs us down. It is heavy. It prevents us from competing and completing the race like we know the Lord has called us to to do. Here the writer is telling the church and even us in this room today that if there is something in your life that is encumbering your race, then you need to get rid of it. You need to lay it aside. We are also told here that we need to run with endurance. The race of life is not a sprint, is it? It's a marathon, is what it is. And we need to pace ourselves for such a race. I am not a runner, okay? But I do enjoy jogging every once in a while. And, and I love, um, you know, just, just being out there and exercising and working out. I go through cycles in my life where I will work out and then I'll go like a year without doing anything, <laughs> Then I'll work out, and then I'll go a year without doing anything. You know, that's not how you stay healthy, is it? 
You know, I read this week that, that there, and I know this, and we know this, there's clearly a difference between the way a sprinter trains for a race and the way a marathoner trains for a race. A sprinter, they focus on developing fast twitch muscles. A marathon runner, though, they focus on developing cardio um, fitness, muscular endurance. They work on their stamina, don't they? You and I, too, must be developing Um, our spiritual endurance muscles as well. How do we run this race well? Well, we spend time in God's Word. We spend time hiding the Word in our hearts. We spend time studying the Word together and privately. We pray the Word. We respond to the Word. We share the Word. When we do those things, guess what? We're going to develop those spiritual muscles that we need to develop in order to run this race of life strong. You know, um, we're told that our reward in this race is Jesus. We are told to look to Jesus. In verse 2, we read, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. How often do you find yourself looking to Jesus? How often do you find yourself with your eyes fixed upon the Lord Jesus Christ throughout your day? You know, I bet you if we kept our eyes fixed on Jesus more, we, we, would, we would experience um, less heartache and frustration in life, wouldn't we? Because what happens when we take our eyes off Jesus? We focus in on the things of this world. And when we focus in on the things of this world, we have a tendency to worship the things of this world instead of worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, one day, every single one of us in this room are going to finish this race of life. I hope we can finish this race like this marathon runner here in this next slide with our arms open high above our head and that, that tape there across our chest and just feeling that. I bet you that's one of the most satisfying moments that any runner can have. Crossing that finish line with the arms open or high above their head and that that tape across their chest. Let's finish the race like that right there. Notice that Jesus is also the founder and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is the founder. He is the author. He is the originator. He is the beginning of our faith. He is our founder, isn't he? We're told in Hebrews chapter 2, reaching all the way back to the early part of this study, these words, For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist, and bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Jesus is our founder. John spoke these words of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He is He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Paul wrote, For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 1, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Lord's not done with us yet, is he? 
Lord, is still molding us and shaping us and forming us into the men and women that he created us to be. As long as we allow ourselves to still be moldable and pliable, then God is going to continue to do a good work in our lives. Again, in verse 2, um, we read that, that who for the joy endured the cross. In Hebrews 12, 2 B says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's begin focusing in on this word joy. What does joy mean? I think a lot of times we think joy means happiness. You and I were never guaranteed a happy life, were we? We sometimes think of joy meaning happy. Now, we definitely experience happy moments in life, we definitely experience happy-filled moments in our lives, but, but what, we are, what we're told here is that Jesus experienced joy as he hung upon that cross. Isn't that hard to wrap your mind around? I think people go through life thinking they are entitled to happiness. They are entitled to that million-dollar home or that $100,000 car or that big, fat bank account. Those things would be nice, but you and I were never promised such a life. I mean, think about the first century Christians. Think about those believers that we just read about that were murdered and martyred for their faith. They didn't have all the things that we have today, but they counted themselves, God counted them as being faithful because they ran the race of life well. John 10.10 says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus came to give us an abundant life, didn't he? In Jesus, we can live an abundant life, a full life, a complete life, a joyful life. I don't think that Jesus came to this earth and experienced much of a happy life. I think he had happy moments. But what Jesus came and did is he completed the work that God called him to do, his father called him to do. Bob Diffenbaugh talks about the joy Jesus had. He said that the joy that was set before him was a joy set out for him by the father. It was the joy of obeying and carrying out the father's will, the joy of bringing glory to the father, the joy of being raised, ascended, and exalted at the right hand of the father, the joy of reconciling lost sinners to God. Jesus endured the cross, didn't he? Think about that for just a moment. Think about the moments that led up to the cross. Jesus would be um, betrayed by one of the twelve, and he would be abandoned by the other eleven. He would be arrested. He'd be put on public trial. Pilate would bring him and, and Barabbas, a murderer and a vile criminal, out before the crowd and ask, who would you have me to release and did the crowd say, Jesus, an innocent man that had done nothing wrong? No, they cry out, Barabbas, 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 give us Barabbas. I mean, can you imagine what Jesus experienced in those moments? Jesus would be beaten. He would be literally ripped apart for us. He had to carry his own cross. He went to the cross. And that Roman soldier nailed his hands and his feet into that wooden tree. That was the most important and significant act within all of human history. And we are told that our Lord, that Jesus Christ, found joy in it. Isn't that hard to wrap your mind around this morning? And as a result of his suffering, as a result of taking upon himself the full wrath of God for our sins, Jesus experienced joy. The joy he experienced 
was the joy of knowing that he accomplished what he was sent to do, that he accomplished the will of the Father. The second to the last words that Jesus spoke from the cross was, it is finished. And upon the completion of his work, Jesus would be would, would ascend to his rightful place and take his rightful seat next to God the Father in the heavens. And you know, when I think about Jesus seated in the heavens, I'm always reminded of Stephen. You know, you remember Stephen in the Bible in Acts chapter 7, we read of, of how Stephen stands before the religious leaders and he begins to preach the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ before them. And at the end of his message, those that heard the message were enraged, weren't they? And we read here in Acts chapter 7, beginning in verse 54. Now, when they heard these sayings, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God in Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Then he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And after he spoke those words, he would be stoned to death. But do you see what happens within this story here? Do you see what happened as a result of Stephen standing for the Lord? What did the Lord do? The Lord stood for Stephen as well. You know, I don't know what the Lord's daily activities are in the heavens. I don't know if he stands every time you and I do something faithful or not. But we have an example in Scripture of him standing when his saints stood for him. As indicated earlier, this passage we are looking at this morning is not talking about a literal cloud of witnesses standing and rooting us on as we run this race of life toward the finish line. This is not an audience There is not an audience of of hundreds or hundreds of thousands or millions of people that are rooting us on, but there is an audience of one, isn't there? The Lord Jesus Christ this morning is rooting us on, and he's telling us to finish the race strong. And we have this guarantee that when we finish this race, Jesus is going to be on the other side of that finish line. In Mark 10, 32, we read, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. Have you acknowledged Jesus before men? Have you, have you told other people that you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? In conclusion this morning, we read the encouragement. We see the encouragement for the race. In verse 3, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. This word consider in Greek means to think about actively with effort and precision. That's what we are to do. We are to think about Jesus like that. The words grow weary or faint-hearted, these were athletic terms. They were used of runners who would run the race and, and, and they would never finish the race because they collapsed before they crossed the finish line. Now, I I don't know about you, but I want to finish this race strong, don't you? I don't want to collapse before the finish line. I don't want to to get right up to the the end and then just kind of walk away and leave it up to other believers to do the work that I am supposed to be doing. I want to be a part 
of this amazing life as long as the Lord will allow me to. And as long as I am part of it, I want to proclaim the good news of salvation to all that I come in contact with. Don't quit the race. Run the race and finish the race well. And as you run, gather as many spectators as you can along the way to run the race with you. You remember in the show Forrest Gump, some of you have seen that, but there's a scene um, in it where, where Forrest just, one day he starts running. And, and it's been so long since I've seen this movie, I don't remember, but what I remember of it is he doesn't just run for, for, for days. It almost gives you the appearance that he's running for weeks or months. And he doesn't stop. He keeps running and running and running. And as he's running, there's other people that begin to run with him. And one day as he's out in some desert land, he just stops. And he turns around and he begins to walk home. But as he turns around and begins to walk home, there are um, the, the scene of the movie shows hundreds, if not thousands of people that are following behind him. Now, may that be said of us. That as we run this race, we're gathering people to be a part of this race with us. And when we cross that finish line, may there be hundreds, if not thousands of people that finish the race with us because we were faithful to the very end and preached the good news of salvation to the very end. You want to run this race successfully? Be encouraged and strengthened by the faith champions that have run this race before us. Let us lay aside that weight. Lay aside that sin. Let's run with endurance. Let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and not fixed on the things of this world. Let's remember that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. That he died for our sins and provided a way for us to receive the free gift of eternal life. And let us not grow weary, but let us finish the race strong. You know, this morning as we bring this message to a conclusion, I don't know what decision that you need to make. Some of you, you may just need to make a decision that you're going to, you're going to finish this race strong. You're not going to stop just short of the finish line. You're not going to throw up your hands and say, I'm not going to do anymore. I'm going to let the younger generation do it. Well, that's not how it works, is it? We're called to fight the good fight up until our last breath. And may we all be faithful to do that very thing. Let's stand together. I'm going to lead us in a, a, a time of prayer. And if there's a decision that you need to make, then I want to invite you um, to, to come this morning. But let's pray together. Father God, we come before you, Lord Jesus, just thanking you again for the opportunity to gather in your house, Lord. Father, I know within this message, there's just a lot to it, Father. There's a lot of components to it. There's a lot of things that you have called us to do. But, Father, I pray that as a takeaway this morning, that all of us in this room will recognize the importance of laying aside the weight, laying aside the, the sin, laying aside those things that, that, that prevent us from running this race well. And, Father, I pray that every single one of us will keep our eyes fixed on you and not the things of this world. Father, just move now during this time of invitation. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.